I want to I share a, a story with you that I haven't told this for many years. Uh, please allow me a little bit of uh, license because it's happened so long ago. You know, my memory is, you know. But uh, my son, Will, Keth, was, was Will like a real bugger? I mean, you know, tenacious. He's, he's now about 35, 34, 35. He's got three of his own children, so he's a grown adult. And this, this happened a long time ago. Maybe he's around 12, 13 years of age. Uh, very, very tenacious, very persistent. You know, when he had something that he wanted, you know, I mean, he's just, he's just, he's the kind of kid, you know what I'm talking about. He kind of just wears you down, you know, like, oh, whatever you want, just leave me alone, you know. And uh, it was coming up on his birthday, and his birthday is in March, March 27th, in fact. And uh, so uh, he had told us what he wanted for his birthday, uh, and we got it. And, but he changed his mind. It was something else that he wanted. He wanted badly. He wanted this very expensive watch, the kind of water-resistant, pressure-resistant, the kind of, you know, he was into, sco- he was into uh, surfing at the time. And, and, you know, it was the kind of watch that scuba divers have. And it's very expensive. And, and it's, but because we bought him a present already, I said, no. I said, you know, we already, mom and dad got you something already. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about it for Christmas but, you know, Christmas is another, like, what, eight or seven or nine months from, from that, from March. And so he didn't want to hear about it, so he constantly, I'd go in my car, and I'd find taped to my sun visor, you know, a picture of the watch. You know, I'd go in, I'd go in the bathroom, and there'd be a catalog with, the, with, the, with the, an arrow pointing to the watch. And, and uh, you know, stuff like, I mean, constantly, oh, every day, watch, well, you know. We, we, uh, to, to the point where I just got so annoyed with him that I said, Look, if you, if you mention this present one more time, I said, not only are you not going to get that, but you, you, are we going to return to the store what, what we did get you, you know? So silence for about an afternoon, you know? And that evening, it was time for our family devotions, and, and it was Will's turn to, to read a portion of Scripture. And he said, the portion of Scripture I've selected to you is from Mark 13, verse 37. What I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. <laughs> a bugger, you know. I want to talk to you this morning about persistence, about tenacious perseverance, praying through. Uh, the old time is called it praying through. It's prevailing prayer. Uh, there's no way that we could do a series on talking about the promises of God without talking about the means by which, the, the mechanism, you may not like the word, my wife doesn't like the word mechanism, but it's the mechanics behind how we connect with God. It's the app, if you will, that, that brings the promise into our history, that brings it into our story. And so, and so prayer, persistent prayer, persevering prayer, prevailing prayer is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, there's a scripture that says that, that we must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The word diligent there means that, that, that kind of tenacious persistence in pursuing and, and seeking the promises that God has, has made in his covenant for us. Um, to say that, that Prayer was a priority in the life and in the ministry of Jesus is, is an understatement because the Gospels are a record of Jesus going from 
from prayer to prayer, from place to place, and he talked much about, about prayer. But by the way, interestingly, uh, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but he did teach them how to pray, and he spoke much about prayer. In fact, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, the re- repetitive theme, more than any other theme, is the theme about prayer. For instance, in Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, here is, here is a promise that Jesus makes about obtaining the promises of God. Isn't that interesting? Here's a promise that Jesus makes, and, and he's talking about it in reference to obtaining the promises or obtaining what God has said, what God has promised. But his emphasis, I want you to see in those simple verses, is upon persistence in prayer. Uh, the imperative of the words that are used here would better be understood like this. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking until the thing that you're asking for, the thing that you're seeking for, the thing that you're knocking about comes to pass. Now, by the way, I just want to give a, uh, an exclusion for the ladies who were here last night and heard Kelly's message. I did not copy her notes. Uh, it just so happens that the Holy Spirit has often, you know, kind of repeated on Sunday what, what the Holy Spirit said on Saturday night. Uh, next time, give them to me earlier so I can be a little bit more in tune. But uh, it's this relentless persistence and this tenaciousness that God honors. We, we, we see it in, in the man Jacob back in the Old Testament who... Uh, is uh, coming back to, to his home. Uh, you know, after many years being away, he's got two caravans. He splits up his family into two caravans, and, and he's left with nothing. And he, and, he, and, he, and he met with God in a place called Bethel. He had a vision of an angel ascending and descending. And he made this covenant with God. God, he says, he says if you provide for me, he says, I will, I will give you a tithe of everything that I have. And God brings him back some 20-something years later, He's got, he's got, you know, a dozen children almost. I, I think about a dozen children at that point. He's got, he's got wives and he's got servants and he's got sheep and all this stuff. But, but he also knows this, that his brother Esau said, I'm going to kill you. Next time I see you, you, are, you will be a dead man. And he's, he's heard, he's gotten word that his brother is coming to greet him with 400 of his servants. Now, that's a greeting party. I'm telling you, that's not welcome wagon, I'll tell you. But, but you know, so, so he is, is, is wrestling, you know, with, with the fear of what might come to pass. And so, so there's a stranger that he begins wrestling with, and he kind of gets the idea, maybe this is an angel, a messenger sent by God, until ultimately, at the end of the story, he realizes that, no, this is one of the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. This is God himself who has come, and he's wrestling with God. And the daybreak is beginning to dawn, and so, so the Lord says, let go of me. I must be off. And Jacob says the great, those great words, you know, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
And at that moment, his identity was completely changed and transformed. No longer, the Lord said, will you be called Jacob, which had the inference of being the conniver, the deceiver, the, the, the shrewd, you know, uh, supplanter. But now, as a prince, you have prevailed with God. Your name shall be known as Israel. One of the reasons why we sometimes wrestle with God in prayer is not because God is reluctant to give us what we need, but rather he wants to move us to the next level. He wants to bring us higher in our relationship to him. And sometimes that can only come out through our struggling and wrestling with God himself. Now, let me just point out an error that's, that's, that's out there. I haven't heard it for a while, but it's, but it's there. You know, it, it's, it's the idea that, look, I mean, I, I only ask God for something once. I, I don't pray about something more than once because, hey, listen, man, I've already been healed. But, but meanwhile, you know, you're sick and, and, and you haven't been healed. But yeah, but I, but, but I am healed. You know, the kind of attitude that, that says, well, well doesn't, doesn't the word say that when you stand praying, believing, believe that you receive those things that you have? So, so to ask more than once is to pray in, in doubt and unbelief? No, 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 no. That's not what this scripture text is telling us here. This scripture text is telling us that we are to ask and to keep on asking. We're to seek and keep on seeking. We're to knock and keep on knocking. We're to persevere in prayer. We are to be tenacious, respectful, but tenacious and bold in prayer. So Jesus then gives us this illustration in the same, you know, kind of uh, framework or, or portion of Scripture. And this is what he says in Luke 11, verse 5. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, this is at midnight, right? Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and, has, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, let me just say this. Hospitality back in the day was a really big thing. You know, there was no 24-hour diners. You know, in fact, you go outside of New York, there's no 24-hour diners, you know. We're, we're spoiled here on Long Island, you know. Uh, there's, no, there's no Holiday Inn. There's no Hampton Inns, you know. I mean, hospitality was a matter of life and death for, for people who were traveling. And so, and so this is imperative here. And so verse 7 says, Then the man inside, upon whom his house was being knocked upon and being asked for bread, he says, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's a friend, not because of his relationship, yet because of the man's boldness or his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. See, that attitude, that's the kind of attitude that God honors. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus is, 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 is encouraging, that, that persistence, that I will not let you go until you bless me, until you satisfy my needs. And let me preface this by saying this. That, that, that there's an arrogant way of doing it or, or there's a respectful, reverent way of doing it. And we should never be whining and never be, be, uh, be, be, be complaining before God about something that we want or something that we desire. 
Uh, because God's not going to respond to arrogance, but he will respond to intensity and sincerity. You know, we remember, listen, that everything that we have from God, we have because of his mercy. We don't deserve anything, you know, and that is especially important in this entitlement-minded society, that we're not entitled to anything but the wrath of God, but have, by the grace of God, have obtained and received mercy. No one would dare say that the Apostle Paul was praying in an inferior faith when he asked the Lord to remove the thorn from him three times. No one would say about Jesus that he had inferior faith when in the Garden of Gethsemane he prayed three times that this cup, he prayed through. And, and the word, sometimes when we look at the numbers three or the number seven, it, it's, it's really, it, it may even be more than that, but it's, it's, like, it's like the understanding was, if you were Hebrew, you prayed three times a day. And it's, and it's praying through. It's praying with prevailing, persistent prayer. Philip Yancey uh, wrote a book, and it's called Prayer. Does it make a difference? He writes this. He says, where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? He asked the question. Not in Pilate's Hall. Not on the way to Golgotha. Not before Caiaphas. Not before Herod, the king, but it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up, and he quotes from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. There Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from among the dead. And he was heard, I'll add that, because of his reverent submission. He said, had I been there and witnessed the struggle, I would have worried about the future. If he was so broken up when all he was doing was praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces the real crisis? Why can't he approach this trial with the calm confidence of his three sleeping disciples? Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with fearless courage, and his three friends fell apart and fell away. The real crisis we face and when takes place not in life, but on our knees or in prayer. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on your knees, but you understand it's prayer that, that, that wins the battle. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not faint, that is, not quit, not give up. And really, that's the issue. So many times we grow weary in doing well. We, it's, 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 it's laborious to pray. It's, it's like giving birth. There's an element of labor and an element of, 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 of both agony and ecstasy, of both, of both joy and pain involved in the, in the whole thing of giving birth to the promise that God has made. And like... The scripture says that there is pain until the labor is done and then for joy a child has come into the world. Well, well, that's the same process of, of laboring and travailing before God in prayer. To reinforce this principle, Jesus gives us yet another example of encouraging us to not quit, not give up. And this is what he said in Luke 18, verse 2. There was a certain city in which there was a judge who didn't fear or regard man or God, 
Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I don't fear God or regard man, you know, he's not a very good judge. He says, yet because this widow troubles me, she's wearing me out, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge or come to the rescue of his children, his elect, who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will answer them timely. But how much of the kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? You see, that's really the issue. Are people going to persevere in prayer? Are people going to stick with it? Are they going to give up? Because the, the, the answer is delayed. And because it seems sometimes that, that God is seemingly silent. Or sometimes God doesn't respond as quickly as we would like him to. Sometimes it's a matter of timing. Sometimes it's a matter of, of waiting. Uh, one of the scenes I love in the, in the movie uh, Braveheart, uh, the ragtag farmers and, 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 and shepherds you know, are assembled by William Wallace to face these professional soldiers that are coming from, from England and they're, and they're on horses. No standing army has ever been successful against a cavalry of, of, of horses. So the strategy was to make these uh, spears that were as long as trees, but they were to be concealed until the optimum moment. And so when the scene, you know, begins, it's, it's the ground is literally shaking. And at first the, the men begin to hear the, the sound itself of the horses, hundreds of them, maybe a thousand of them, coming down the field and the ground is shaking and the noise is frightening. And so, and so William Wallace, to steady his men, says, wait, wait. And as they're charging and getting closer and closer, he says, hold, hold, until he gives the command for that optimum moment. And when, and when, and when they're right upon them, they lift those those spears, and the horses come down, and the, and the army is defeated. Many times for us, it's the same thing is true, that it's a, it's a condition of the optimum moment so that the glory of God is most magnified and the good of God's people are most achieved. Sam Storms, uh, a pastor and, and author, wrote this concerning uh, waiting. He says, God often says, wait and wants us to persist when we pray in order that we may completely be dependent upon him. If all we had to do was ask the Father for something once and then sit back and wait until the request was granted, our fallen nature, prone to prideful independence, would inevitably lead us in the direction of self-sufficiency. That last statement is so powerful. If we just got what we wanted when we wanted it easily, it would lead to proud independence and self-sufficiency. And so because God requires that we wrestle with him 
in prayer for the promises that he has made, what it does is it creates in us a greater awareness of our dependence upon him. I can't tell you there's a Sunday morning that goes by that we in the prayer room don't, don't pray something similar to this. God, we can't do anything without you. The band, we, we can't do it. The, the talent that you've given us will fall, will fall completely flat unless, God, you build the house. Unless, unless you anoint us. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. That is nothing that is lasting, nothing that's eternal, nothing that will really make an, an impact of eternal consequences. Yeah, men are filled with activity, but, but it's the activity of God that we want to bring into our history and bring into our story. I think, Kelly, you may have talked about the Pharaoh-Phoenician woman last night. I, I love the story about this mother who was desperate. And you know, the Bible says that God's heart is near to those who are desperate. And she comes to Jesus and, and she, she cries out for mercy because her daughter is demonized, tormented by a demon spirit. And she cries out for mercy, son of David, have mercy on me. And he doesn't answer her one single word, doesn't turn to her, toward her, doesn't acknowledge her presence. That kind of gives confidence to the disciples who are kind of like on this little respite or vacation, you know. And, 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 and they're now charged with boldness to say to Jesus, Lord, tell her to get out of here. You know, tell, send her away. Because he's not, he's not responding to her. But she cries, she cries all the more. Lord, have mercy on me. And then when he does speak, his words are cutting. His words are sharp and they're painful. He says, I'm not sent but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're a Gentile. It's not for you. It, it would be wrong for me to give the children's bread to dogs. And she agrees. She says, yes, Lord. She says, I'm just the dog in your sight. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. And what we discover is that Jesus wasn't being rude, and Jesus wasn't being unkind, and Jesus wasn't being callous, but Jesus was drawing out of her because he's the author and finisher of faith. He was, draw, he was bringing her to that, to that level of tenacious I won't be denied faith. And he said, great is your faith. So I want you to know that there's a vast difference between uh, praying persistently and repetition, vain repetition. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7, he said, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words, for their much speaking. It's not the amount, you know. I want to encourage the, the, the worship team this morning. Sometimes we only have, you know, five minutes, ten minutes before the service to pray. You know, some people, let me, let me say this. You, you might be here this morning. You might be thinking, you know what, if I don't have an hour to pray, you know, what am I going to accomplish? You know, back in our histories 
nation's history, the, 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 the bloodiest war, uh, the bloodiest battle that we've ever had was the battle at Gettysburg. 51,000. 51,000 souls died, uh, were, 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 were wounded at, at Gettysburg. Uh, the nation was in shock as a result of so many uh, men both young and old, having, having lost their lives. Um, they planned to have a commencement ceremony. The, the Gettysburg became the, 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 the graveyard for so many lives that were given up. On November 19, 1863, then uh, governor of Massachusetts by the name of Edward Everett, he was to give the, 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 the speech in dedication or consecration for, for those that had, had perished. When President Lincoln uh, discovered that there was going to be a memorial service, he planned on attending. And so, so when they found out that he was going to attend, they asked him to say a few appropriate remarks. En route to Gettysburg, uh, President Lincoln was, was burdened because the nation was at war. He was burdened because he had a, a sick child at home. Two of his other children, two out of the four of his other children had already died. He had, he had a lot of things on his mind. He was ill-prepared, and, 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 and he began to think about some words that he could say. He struggled with, with trying to come up with the right words. In the morning, he wrote on two s- small scrap pieces of paper what was to be known as the Gettysburg Address. When Everett took the podium first, he spoke eloquently for two hours. For two hours, he spoke. At 12 o'clock noon, the president was given the podium, and he turned to one of the dignitaries and said, they're not going to like this. And he spoke for what was a speech that lasted approximately two minutes. I never even heard of Edward Everett before. Could you remember any single word that he said in that two hours speech that he made? But we know some of the words that President Lincoln said about a government by the people and for the people, you know? Uh, those two minutes have become probably some of the most memorable two minutes in our nation's history. So what I want to say to you is this, that if, if that is true with men, how much more true can that be with God? We may not have an hour to spend in prayer. It may be only five minutes or 10 minutes or two minutes, but two minutes with God, in whom there is no, no impossibilities with God. There is, there is only possibilities with God. What can we accomplish if we give ourselves to prayer? There's a story about a, uh, a tightwad. You know what a tightwad is? Give me another word for tightwad. Cheapskate. And I won't refer to anybody here at all. But, but there's a story about this tightwad who... Every time he got his hands on some extra money, he would stuff it into his mattress. Now, I, I just want to pause here for a minute. I told, I told you the story, and I showed you the pictures a couple of years ago. Do you remember? There was a lady in Japan, 
an elderly woman who stuffed her mattress with money, more, more than a million dollars, and her daughter wanted to do her, just show her kindness and get rid of her mother's lumpy mattress. And so, so she bought her a new mattress, and they took the old mattress to the dumps, and they were looking in the dumps for that mattress. When she found that, when she realized what had happened. Yeah, people do that. They really do stick money in, under their mattress. So this guy, I mean, over years, now he's, he's kind of old and he was sickly and he's about ready to die. And he tells his wife, he says, I want you to promise me. I want you to promise me that when I die, you will, you will bury me with my money. I want you to take my money and I want, you to, I want to take it with me. I want you to bury So she promised. He died. She took the money over to the bank, deposited it, wrote a check for the full amount, put it in the casket. <laughs> She was shrewd. But when God makes a promise, he does exactly what God says that he will do. He's not shrewd and not looking to, to pull one over on us. I, I just want to encourage you this morning because it's this kind of prayer that receives the blessing. John Stott, who is a pastor theologian, wrote this concerning our subject. He said, it's absurd to suppose that the promise, ask, and it shall be given you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. That is, it's not an unconditional promise. Let me start again. It's absurd to suppose that the promise, ask, and it shall not be given to you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached, that knock, and it will be open to you, is an open sesame, to every closed door without exception, and that by the waving of a prayer wand, any wish will be granted and every dream will come true. The idea, he says, is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into magic, the person who prays into a magician like Aladdin, and God into our servant who appears instantly to do our bidding like Aladdin, like Aladdin's genie every time we rub our little prayer lamp. There's a condition to our prayer. Last week I said it's important that we remember that God is God and that we remember that God is good and that we remember that God is faithful. But I want to add one thing to that this morning, one simple truth, that God is wise. That our Heavenly Father not only knows what we need, He knows when we need it at the optimum moment because sometimes it's simply a matter of timing. Aside from this issue then of giving up and quitting before the answer has come, there's another issue that I see, and that is of presumption. And I say this even to my own heart, because there are times when, when I've got to stop and I've got to ask myself, did, did I pray about this, or, or am I just presuming that God is going to do this for me? I mean, did, did I really make it a matter of prayer, or... You know, did I, did I just assume that God was going to do this based upon the promises of his word? And James kind of puts it this way. He says, you have not because you don't ask. And, and isn't that the first step? In that progression, we start asking, seeking, and, and knocking, right? And, and you know what? It is a progression because 
Because to ask is the first step. Let your request be made known to God. Tell God what you want, what you need. And then the progression of that is to then seek. And seeking is, is asking with action. It is searching the scriptures. It is, it is taking what God has promised and putting God in remembrance of, of what he said. God, I know that you're not forgetful. You're not senile. I don't have to tell you what you don't already know, but, but I, I am verbalizing what my need is because I am seeking you with all my heart, because, because intensity matters, because sincerity matters. And that and third progression of knocking is, is asking, and it's, and it's seeking in action, and, and, and it implies, it implies that, that, uh, that, that intensity of desire. You know, we're not going to stop knocking until God answers. So James talks about this in his little letter. And so it says, you don't have because you haven't asked and you don't receive because you have the wrong motive. Motive is also an important issue. And I can't speak to motive this morning. You have to search your hearts about motive when it comes to something that you've been praying about. But I want to say this, that prayer Prayer is, 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 the, is the, the facilitating of the promise. It's the way that we connect with God. You know, it's, it's the app that God uses to, to bring the promise into our history. It, it is so much like giving birth. Uh, it's giving birth in the spirit of something that God has promised that he would do, but we're asking God to now do it. It's not starting something. It's responding to what God has said. And let me give you, in closing this morning, an example of what uh, James wants his readers to, to close with. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so James is talking about persistent prayer. He tells us that we, that, that, that we need to you know, uh, draw near to God and God will draw near to us, that we need to humble ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God. And God gives more grace, you know. And then he says this in, in, in his last chapter. He says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. The prayer of a righteous man, the effectual fervent prayer, one translation says, avails much, it accomplishes much. And Elijah was a man just like us. So he wasn't anything extraordinary, uh, yet he was extraordinarily used of God, but he's a man, James says, just like us, with the same kind of passions, the same kind of desires, the same kind of faults and flaws as every single one of us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Three and a half years, this man prayed, God, don't let it rain upon the land of Israel. And it did not rain for three and a half years. And again he prayed at the end of that three and a half years, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Now let me just give you a little bit of an a insight into this prophet called Elijah. Uh, he, is, he, he comes along on the scene in one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. Now for generations, the, the nation's been divided. There are 10 northern tribes called Israel, two southern tribes, Benjamin and, and Judah, that makes up Jerusalem, that makes up the, 
the, the, the land of Judah and the kings of Judah were separate. But there's not one single good king that was in Israel. Everyone did evil in the sight of the Lord. But maybe no one did as evil as the, as the, the, the soft, uh, effeminate King Ahab, who marries, who marries the princess of Sidon, whose father happened to be the high priestess of Baal, and, and brings Baal worship into the nation. I mean, after all, they didn't care about Yahweh anyway. They, for generations now, I mean, th- there was gross darkness in the land, spiritual wickedness that, that I can't even talk to you in mixed company this morning, but, but perversity. She brings with her 400 prophetesses, uh, prostitutes, and, and 450 you know, uh, prophets of Baal. And they set up temples all over uh, the northern uh, country of, of Israel, Samaria and Bethel. And, and, and idol worship is all over the place. And this is dark. And in the midst of that, these, these, these people up in the mountains, you know, they, they have a son and they call his name Elijah. And his name means, his name is a prophecy of of what these parents want this child to be. And his name means the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Not Baal, God, the Lord, Je- Jehovah, he is, he is God. And he grows up, and every time they call him, Elijah, come on over here. He's reminded that God, the Lord, Jehovah, he is God. In spite of what is happening in the, the land of darkness, and he comes on the scene, and he somehow gets a hold of the copy of Deuteronomy. You know, he, he, he's kind of a, he's a mountain man. You know, you, you think of him as, 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 as kind of this rough, and he's come from a, a, a really, you know, like, what was that? Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, killed a bear when he was only three. Remember? You know, Davy, Davy Crockett. Uh, some of you. Yeah, he's a mountain man, you know, he, 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 and, he, and he comes... After it has not, you could read about this yourself in First Kings 17 and 18 this afternoon, but, 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 he, but he comes when ambassadors are coming before Queen Jezebel, who's sitting on the throne with Ahab, her weak and, and, and docile uh, husband. He doesn't care. All he's interested in is his horses, and he's interested in his, his comfort, and he doesn't care about Baal or you know, he's not interested in any of this. So here, here comes this guy, and you could, you could smell him when he comes in because he smells like the forest. He smells like the outdoors. I mean, he's, he's rough, and he's, he's dressed in camel's hair or whatever, you know, uh, moose hair, I don't know. And, and, but, but, but he smells like the good earth, you know, and everybody in the courtyard, what the heck is going on? What is that smell? And Elijah comes, and he stands before King Ahab, and he says, he says, before the Lord whom I stand. In other words, I am his ambassador. I am his representative. It is not going to rain. Now, listen, it had not rained for six months. Do you remember just a couple of weeks ago what happened on Long Island? And the fires broke out out east because we hadn't had rain for a, a couple of weeks. How dry everything was. Imagine ha- not having rain for six months in the, in not even a cloud in the sky over the Middle East. I mean, it must have been horrifying upon the crops and upon the land, upon the cattle, you know. And here's Elijah, and he announces, it shall not rain 
for the next three years according to my word. And he takes off. Jezebel said, who is that weird guy? You know? And Ahab, Ahab, I, I picture Ahab as being as white as a sheet. I, I, he's just seen a ghost. Because he had heard when he was young about Yahweh. And some of the things that Yahweh did, parting the Red Sea, plagues in Egypt. And, and now this guy who represents Yahweh has come and said, there's not going to be rain for another three years. This is what, this is what James tells us that he prayed. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. I mean, how do you do that? How do you affect the, the jet stream? How do you affect the clouds in the sky? How does a man just like us affect the weather like this? So what I want you to see is this. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 23, God was saying, when my people and if my people turn away from me, if they forsake my ways and they worship demon gods, then this is what I will do. He says, the sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron, and the Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. God says, I'll do that. Okay, God, will, why don't you do that? See, God will do nothing in the earth except that which he will reveal through a man. God set up the, the earth and the planet in this way and that God acts. Here's the promise. The promise is out there. Generations have come since Moses spoke this in the book of Deuteronomy. Kings have come and, and, and God did not do this, not until somebody got a hold of the promise and began to pray the promise into existence and bring that into their history. And so he announces that it will not be rain for the next three years. But we, we mostly see this we, we, about prevailing prayer because it, it's kind of like all, all of a sudden we just are announced that, that here's Elijah. We have no, no history, no background before that announcement. But somewhere Six months before, he, he had gotten a hold of God and prayed that because, God, I'm, I'm jealous for your glory, and I want to bring your people back to a saving knowledge of, of Yahweh. And he got a hold of God, and God responded. But we don't, we don't say this prevailing prayer as much as we do at the end of the three and a half years. So let me just, let me just paint the picture for you. He goes up upon Mount Carmel and he says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Now, there's no rain. But in my spirit, I know it's time for God to move. And I know what can move the hand of God. And so he begins to pray. And, 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 and he, he get, ladies, he gets in the posture. And lady, ladies who have given birth, you, you know the posture that this... Scripture is talking about, he puts his head between his knees and he begins to push. He begins to birth in prayer and he begins to ask God in simple words. He, he's very specific. He, he says, God, send the rain. And he sends his servant out. He says, go, go, go look now toward the sea and tell me what you see. And he comes back and there's nothing. And he puts his head between his knees again and he begins to pray and he's praying. He's intense. He's focused. He's, he's tenacious. He sends his servant out again. 
The second time comes back, nothing. Third time, nothing. He sends them out seven times. And on the seventh time, servant comes back and says, there's a cloud in the sky. It's probably, yeah, probably about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, that's enough. He knows that God's answered his prayer. And suddenly the Bible says that the sky is filled with dark and and, and hovering clouds, and, and the rain begins to come. Persistence, tenacious, laying hold of God, reminding God of what God promised, having a man or a woman stand in that place where you're bringing the promise of God into the story or your story or your history, not automatically because you just presume that God will do it because he promised, but God is looking, looking for the means by which he can bless you. Here's what I want you to know, that persistent prayer of faith, the persistent prayer of faith receives the promise. The persistent prayer of faith receives the promise. And you know, to... To, to, to just say this in closing, to, to back up what Jesus said fundamentally uh, in both those portions of Scripture where he talks about asking and, and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be. He, sa- he, he uses both these thoughts. He says, if you being evil by nature in comparison to God know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? I want to say this, that Luke makes a slight deviation from what Jesus said there to include this, that how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? See, I think in in Luke's mind, the greatest of all the gifts that God can give us, besides what we need on a daily basis, is what affects us eternally. And the greatest gift that God gives to us is the Spirit of God, who himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God. That without him, we can't do anything. Let me ask you this simple question. You as believers in Christ, when's the last time you prayed that the Holy Spirit would refill you? That the Holy Spirit would give you fresh anointings, fresh enablement, fresh power? to serve him acceptably, to do do the will of God. Maybe what we ought to be doing is to be crying out to God that God would continually be filling us with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that that is the imperative of Scripture where it says to be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said last week that when God gives us a command, it's not to put a burden on us. It's to, it's to comfort us and encourage us because when God commands something, he also gives the ability to do it. If you're here this morning and, you know, maybe this is all new to you. Maybe, you know, you've, you don't have a connection with God. You don't, don't have a relationship with God. We're talking about this morning basically what God will do for his children when they pray. Interestingly, it's, it's the same thing that happens initially when we come into a relationship with Christ. 
we, we, we pray, we ask. We ask God to be our Savior. We ask Christ to forgive us of our sins. We, we ask to become followers of Jesus Christ. And when we ask, we shall receive. And when we seek, we shall find. And when we knock, it's gonna be open to us. And if you're here this morning and you fall into that category, I wanna just encourage you this morning to simply ask right where you are now. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Start this relationship with, with the Lord. In a conversation, we often say that. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer in Christ and you've been maybe walking with the Lord for many years and there's still something, maybe it's, it's the prayer for the salvation of your children. Don't you dare quit or give up. Don't you dare make a presumption that they'll automatically come into the kingdom of God. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody on your job. Maybe it's somebody in the family, you know. Maybe the healing hasn't come yet. But God is wanting to bring us to that next level and to stretch us so that we can be said of us like the woman, oh, great is your faith, because you refuse to be denied. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the promise that is spoken to us in relationship to the promises that Jesus, you made this incredible promise that we will receive if we don't faint, if we don't quit, if we don't give up. Lord, I just pray this morning that you will strengthen us. Lord, we, 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 we are so apt to give up. We're so quick to be discouraged. I'll be the first one to admit that. But I ask you, Lord God, to now forgive us of our discouragements and encourage us Lord, I ask you every week, give me encouragement, Lord God, to keep on doing what I'm doing. And you always come through. You're so faithful. You're so good. But you're also so wise to know the timing of the optimum moment. Father, we this morning, we, we thank you for the encouragement that we're going to keep on keeping on. We're going to keep on asking. And keep on seeking diligently and put you in remembrance of what you promised. Though you're not forgetful, you're not, you're not senile, you, you already know those things that we need before we ask. But you require that we ask as a discipline, as a discipleship building character development in our life. And so for that, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you that you don't make it easy but that you make us good. And we all said together, amen.